As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? so much for doing this Jared I'm so excited to talk to you now that we have labeled me as rocker rock and roll on the top granny on the bottom it's the only way I want to be known as for the rest of my life because that is my heart and soul and you gave me that label and I'm so obsessed with it and I will uh I will always be grateful to you just simply for that oh, I am honored to give the new <laughs> to give you know everything's like a clothing style you are rocker rocker on top granny on bottom that's you <laughs> kind of want to change the my bio and all of my social medias to that now and I'll, I'll, I'll for sure credit you I would never like I would never it's cut yours. you out of that <laughs> uh, uh, I'm so happy to have you on I know you as a makeup artist what how did, you must have done my makeup at some point like I don't I don't know, I don't know how this happened because like I worked with the photographer. Uh, I was working with Von Swank, Robin Got Von it. Swank. Yep. And yes. I was her, like, oh, yes. uh, one of her makeup artists in rotation. Yep. So yep. it was just kind of like, you know, we got paired together. And mm -hmm. I always say, like, the people who I keep in contact with, it's like some people just connect, you know, not mm -hmm. no shade to people I don't work with anymore, don't keep, but like, you know, sometimes you just really connect with people and you stay in touch. And like, God, that was ages so ago. Lo so long ago. So long and ago. here we are still and connected are. and still so, you know, uh, it, but that's how we that's I do remember that specifically just because that was such a unique time working with Robin before I kind of switched into like the world of doing makeup and reality TV and all that stuff. So that was such yeah. a fun time. Yeah. How did that? OK, I, I have so many questions. I'm just going to like let us go. Let us go. I'm not even going <laughs> to I'm not even going to start with the question I usually start with. OK, so you are a makeup artist, but you made a transition into do like doing makeup artists for reality tv and now you're doing script writing you're you're all over the you're all over the map you're doing yes. all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things in the arts how did you make that transition from makeup artist into like reality stuff i mean you still did makeup for them right yeah i was still doing makeup for yeah. them so i mean so it, it was a natural transition it's kind of like i was working with people you know seeing like people were seeing these incredible photographs coming out from you know the shoot we did with von swank mm -hmm. and i was working with some of the cast members for red carpets on orange mm -hmm. is the new black and um, it was just kind of like there needed to be a youthful at Bravo where all these reality shows that I work with kind of take place. The, this one show, Vanderpump Rules, has a lot of young cast members and they were getting stuck with makeup artists who were, you know, working with housewives, the real housewives who are much older. Mm. And so I kind of came in and said, like, you know, when we do red carpets for girls in their 20s and 30s, we don't do like this and that and the other. We kind of pare it down and, and let's focus on glow and let's focus on just different beauty techniques. And... So kind of doing that, like one after the other, I would start doing one of the girls. There's like, the cast has like seven females, which mm. is awesome, you know? And so one girl would be like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. Who did that make? And it'd be like, so slowly I kind of mm. snowballed until the production was like, okay, the entire cast is only using this one guy out of nowhere. So then Bravo would reach out and then they'd be like, oh, can you come do a commercial for this housewife from New York who's in town or this housewife, housewife from Potomac who's in town? So that's yeah. how I got into that world. And then, like I said, you know, when you become friends with people, sometimes you just connect with people. And a lot of the certain cast members from certain shows and stuff like 
you just connect with and you vibe with and you see them so much that they become good friends and that's what happened with with uh, some of those girls especially from Vanderpump Rules so yeah what were you okay so when you how long have you been in LA 12 years Okay, so when you moved here, did you move here specifically for being a makeup artist? No, I moved here because I love the Chateau Marmont. I love that Spencer, okay. like Heidi Montag was outside of Hyde, yeah. you know, with her clipboard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love the Hollywood scene. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I was doing drag, which I always say is kind of like my gateway, obviously gateway into makeup because yep. you're doing a ton of makeup on yourself. But I knew I didn't want to be like a drag performer or go on RuPaul's Drag Race. So, I was, you know, you know how it is. It's like we were, you moved to LA in your early 20s and you're like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so, you know, I played around with drag and all that stuff. And then eventually people were like, you're really good at doing your makeup. It helps that I have, you know, divine feminine features too. <laughs> so they so they would be like, so it wasn't like the t- traditional drag of like that heavy, heavy. They would see me yeah. like in these kind of like, oh my God, your skin's like really pretty. You know, my coworkers who are all, of course, actresses, models, singers, you know, who need headshots and all that stuff. So they, so it just started like that. My friends started saying at the restaurants I worked with when I moved to LA, can you help me with my makeup? I have a, my headshots. I have, I'm doing a little, you know, I have to come makeup ready because I'm doing a background thing for someone's music video. Like, and so I would just help my friends. And so I'm fully self-taught. And then I, you know, fine-tuned it to learn the, you know, the hygienics and to uh, broaden my knowledge of skin color. So yeah, that, self-taught. So. Yeah. Is, was, and once you started like getting into it more and more, were you like, oh, this is what I want to do as a career, like for the foreseeable future? Or like, when did you make the transition into like, okay, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to make all my money. Yeah. I mean, I was waiting tables for the entire time I was in LA up until I started to kind of, until I had that moment with the, my coworkers where I was like, oh my gosh, I should, or oh my gosh, you should do makeup. And so I was like, you can't do makeup in Florida. It's like you work at a salon, you do hair, you do makeup, mm-hmm. you do nails, you do it all. You know, it's like, that's what pretty much everyone outside of LA, New York, and like the, you know, where yep. whatever, that's how it is. So I was like, I don't want to do hair. Like, I don't want to go to cosmetology school at all. I've already, it took me six years to get a two-year college degree. You know what I mean? Like, I cannot, <laughs> there's just no, it's not happening. And when I tried to bleach my friend's hair, I broke off all her bangs. So like when I was 20, <laughs> so I'm not doing that. They said, no, you can just be a makeup artist. I was like, oh, Okay. So it just started there. And I was just like one of those, I don't believe in like grind culture. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not going to rise and grind, but I will get up and do do stuff like to make my career happen. So I just worked hard. I, you yeah. know, I had to, I was also young and health, like fit and like in my twenties, yeah. you know, working, burning the candle at both ends or whatever the saying is. And um, eventually it's just one of those things, you know, I mean, I do believe in like it sounds crazy and you know we'll get into more of my story of why I believe these kinds of things but karmically speaking I started to volunteer at a homeless center because I was living in Venice and I was just kind of like I don't know I just had like a little breakdown of like oh my god I'm really living like the self-involved drinking a lot partying whatever and starting to do makeup but just not feeling you know whatever not feeling great so I started volunteering at this homeless center for youth and you know, not even thinking anything. I was doing it, I mean, selfishly, because I was like, this will make me feel better about myself. Mm -hmm. But then you start volunteering there, you end up loving it, you know, when you find something that you're passionate about. And then, like, all of a sudden, these people who who were knowing me for like, you know, five months, six months were like, oh, by the way, I work at, you know, Paramount, I work at this place. And so then I would get job offers that way as well. And that's actually, now that I think about it, it was someone from that charity who knew had the connection to Bravo TV. And that mm. was actually where the connection. So then I had the portfolio to show like, yes, I can do, you know, the work from other people, but that connection. And so I do feel like there's some, you know, you have to really take, 
some people are very cutthroat in any industry obviously I mean acting any of it but you know makeup is one of them where it's cutthroat and I've had people poach clients they'll sneak around and try to dm you know clients who are my close friends and they'll say like you know I'll offer you half the rate of whatever your current makeup artist is doing you know blah 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 and it's like that just doesn't work I mean in my opinion that does not work so I don't do like that so I just was I just made it work I did good things I took jobs that I knew were like fair and right and I did take pay cuts and things that I, you know, I didn't think I should be paid right away. But I also came up right around the time before, like, Makeup My Mario was, um, who's Kim Kardashian's, like, world-famous makeup artist. It was right as the time as, like, makeup was becoming mainstream in that sense. So um, it was pre-social media. So it was pre, or not pre-social media, but is as social media was growing. Yeah. So there's not, like, now it's, like, almost like being a makeup artist is, like, this fabulous thing. It's, like, oh, my God, you get to go to all these fabulous events, and you're with your clients 24-7, and it's just not like that. You know, I mean, it is fabulous to do things, but most of the events I go to are because I'm friends with my clients, not because I've done their makeup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So it, there's so there's just a lot of, um I guess, going back to the whole thing of how I got, of, like, the shift is, like, I put a lot of good energy and focusing on good people. When I worked with someone that was bad and negative, I wouldn't say, oh, well, they paid really well. Um, let me let me go back and do it and just like bite the bullet and feel the stress and the anxiety. It wasn't worth it for me. I would say no, you know? Yeah. So it was a big balance of like, because you can get into that period where you don't have any days off and you're working for peanuts and just to get by. And I just did not think, you know, I was just like, that's not sustainable. So, so are, you, are you glad that you kind of grew and came up before the like TikTok era where I mean I guess there were still like YouTube reviewers yeah. um so I guess me, it, for me it feels more like there are more um influencers in the beauty space now than there ever was but am I wrong in thinking that no I mean just by the sheer volume of people who are on TikTok you're not wrong in that um it's obviously become way more insane you know where people are like oh here's a tip on how to you know, you put on eyelashes by standing backwards and slamming the door shut into your face, you know, and it's like, oh my God, you guys, or you could just put them on like how we've been doing it for the past, you know, since drag queens started doing drag, you know, oh my gosh, it's so wild. But um, there is a lot of it, but I am glad that I was able to find maybe like a niche, if you will, like with the Bravo reality kind of mm. crew and be known for my artistry first, because I think a lot of problems that people have um, it's a reason why, like, some of the YouTube, the biggest YouTubers aren't professional makeup artists on other people. You know, they'll do their videos and collabs right. and the transformations. But, you know, it, it's two different art forms, certainly. So I, like, now, you know, since the pandemic and since everything, um, I've kind of done, I kind of towed the line. But I'm also pushing 35. I don't know it all. Like, I don't understand all of it. And, mm-hmm. like, what music's trending to make it go. Sometimes I'll post something. I'll be like, oh, this is an interesting, like, tip, like, about blush that I want to share. And all of a sudden it'll be like, oh my gosh, it has 100,000 views. Like, that's crazy. Other times I'll be like, this is the most, like, like you have to spray setting spray on your foundation brush. I swear it'll make your makeup stick all day long. You'd barely need powder. I, like, will preach that and, pe- like, it'll get 2,000 views. I'm like, you guys are really missing out on this? But I don't care about the view part. You know what I mean? That's right. where, like, the TikTok artists are really stuck in that. So I am glad I missed that kind of, like, constantly having to keep up. Because if I had to film a video every day, plus yep. do work as a makeup artist, I would quit. Yep. Exactly. Quit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it does make sense though. I never thought of it that, this way before, but you brought it up that like it is for, it's kind of for a different audience. Like you don't see a lot of 
uh, uh, beauty influencers on TikTok actually working red carpets for people or getting exactly. high that, that I know of. Um, they're doing it for themselves for like it's like they're making money by getting views versus they're making money by doing someone's makeup who is on a red carpet. Am I yeah. kind of right in that? That's pretty much the especially like when you divide makeup artists via beauty influencer. Like my right. good friend Melissa Hernandez, she does everyone from Sydney Sweeney to oh gosh, I'm blanking Jenna Ortega, just every mm-hmm. hot girl that's like in right now. Yep. She's the sweetest kind of soul in the world, and she still does videos of herself, uh, you know, tutorials with products. But it's a different vibe. It's like, here's how I recreated, like, um, you know, my one of my clients' look. Here's how I did Billie Eilish's look. Here's how I did, you know, Sydney's look. Like, that kind of thing. Which is, I find a little bit more helpful. Because, like, well, whatever. Everyone, to each their own, you know. But yeah, I yeah, like yeah. that vibe. I'm always like, ooh, I wonder how they achieved that. So, I find that much more fascinating than, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I figured out a new way to contour my nose. And it involves me, like, spitting on my hand. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they go crazy on TikTok. They really do. I... I don't know anything about it. Like about like, <laughs> like I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about anything. I'm a grand. I'm half grandmother, half rocker. Uh, 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 yeah. If it's not Metamucil or a Metallica, I don't want to hear about it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so we'll we'll backstep a little bit. So you're you're doing makeup. You're working for um, Bravo. At some point, you get sick correct mm-hmm. okay yes. so walk walk me through that and uh as much as you w- yeah. feel comfortable sharing so it really happened like I was feeling like really on the height of my career so that whole long wine story of me how I ended up working with Bravo people was I was finally getting in my groove I was able to quit my restaurant jobs I was working with different Bravo cast members and like just working full-time um I was being flown out to do a wedding for the show Vanderpump Rules in the summer of 2019 and um I start to feel ill and I was like oh my goodness like I haven't felt sick in a long time you know what I mean and then it just kind of got worse headaches migraines throughout all of July and um around August my parents came to visit I believe it was and like I had at this point I had dropped maybe around 30 pounds I had gone just out of nowhere I'd gone to comic-con with one of my clients um and was barely like I would do her makeup and then go back to my hotel and just like lay there tr- like so sick and then I drove home from comic-con and I was like I have to see like some doctors you know figure some stuff out anyways I got the runaround because you know I'm young and you, you know I'm 31 <laughs> and had I had insurance because I'm a hypochondriac so I actually paid for $300 a month insurance which mo- most people don't even do that you know what I mean most, right. of, most of us on our age don't pay for anything unless yep. you have a good job. Yep. So I was a freelance makeup artist, but I was such a hypochondriac who loved to go to the doctor all the time that I was like, you know, paying for it. Yeah. So I go, but I had this, it's still the shittiest insurance. And so I got passed around from hospital to hospital. What but are I, they saying? What are they saying just, when you go? They, well, you know, there's a lot going on because they're, they're, they're giving me shots of like ibuprofen. Cause I'm like, I feel pain in my head. I feel my heart flutters if I walk up one flight of stairs. I've lost 30 pounds. And it got to the point, what, what the turning point was, I started to vomit up water. And I was like, not able to keep water down. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, now this is, because I was seeing specialists. And then when I got really sick, I'd go to the ER and get hydration. Because I was like, well, headaches is dehydration, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, one of my specialists said, you need to go, quit going to these ERs that are like local. And you need to go to one of the big three, you know, a university hospital or like a Cedar sinai type, like, a huge hospital and walk in the emergency room and here's my note for them to read and she just said like he something is going on he needs to be tested immediately and they knew pretty much like I remember 
I, I mean, I was in full panic because I thought, oh my gosh, I got, they thought I had like caught a disease in Kentucky <laughs> because I was like, oh, I live in LA so much. Like I'd never been out to the bluegrass, you know what I mean? And right. so they thought I'd caught a disease or something. And I went in April 25th to the ER and two days Wait, later. Wait, April 25th? Of- oh, sorry. August 25th. August 25th of 2019. Okay. So right after that summer of <clears throat> July, June yeah. was a wedding, July sick feeling, going to all the hospitals and part of August. August 25th, I check in. August 27th, you have acute myeloid leukemia and just out of nowhere, no history of it. It's a rare, already a rare cancer for adult, for it commonly affects 60 years and up. Um, it was a mutation in my blood and they were just like, <laughs> you know, like your treatment starts right now. So everything, I mean, like I had to, I was like, oh my God, I have like a shoot on Friday. You know, I don't know what, remember what the day is, but I'm like, oh my God, like thinking I'm going to be out of here with like a antibiotic for some like weird viral thing. And this is pre pre COVID. So we weren't thinking like, you know, you weren't even thinking that stuff like, oh my God, could have been a weird virus like COVID, whatever. So yeah, it was crazy. And then just kind of, you know, the world is spinning and then it just stops and, you know, kind of have to reevaluate everything at once. So it's wild. What, what? is okay say what the diagnosis was again i am very medically not savvy so explain what the diagnosis is so it's just a form of leukemia it's an aggressive form of leukemia called acute myeloid leukemia myeloid is just i don't even know what that means it's so it's like your blood of, or your it, leukemia is a blood cancer yeah okay okay, blood, okay. It's, a, it's a blood cancer so it's similar to leukemia all leukemias are similar in the fact that they're blood cancers much like lymphomas and acute just means it's aggressive as opposed to chronic where you could, you know, like there's types of uh, leukemias that you can live with and take like chemo pills and oh. whatnot. So this is a, this was an acute diagnosis. So when, and also they had to act fast because they had found that while only 50% of the leukemia was in my blood cells, over 90% of the leukemia had taken over my marrow within, which was obviously is marrow is what produces blood. So it was like one of those, like, we got to act fast to, to, you know, to kind of keep you alive. yeah that's like that's a lot of information to be given when you go into the er thinking you're gonna get a fucking antibiotic like what what was going through your mind how did you deal with it did you go with anyone what was the support that you had all of the questions yeah well you know it's wild i have a great family i'm very close i'm very lucky that my parents have always been accepting of who i am um for forever and we're just a tight-knit family so I checked it. I went to the hospital by myself because I've been going so frequently that I was like, oh my God, they're going to give me another round of whatever. And this hospital is finally going to give me the right medicine and do the right test, you know? So I'm thinking whatever. So I told my mom. And so then the the next day, a doctor came in from the oncology department or a scientist or per, blood person came in and said, you know, we're, we are going to do a biopsy to check for leukemia because it, like we've done every test in the book and like this is the last one and it's a painful biopsy. So I was like, oh God. What so is the biopsy that, process? Um, they have to drill into your bone marrow and take a sample from, from it. And from it, where? From your butt. Uh, from your butt area, like from the bone butt area. And it, and it was like super painful. Yeah, you're awake for it. Well, not <laughs> well. I found a different doctor who would put me out for it. Finally, it's so painful. Oh um, my god! Like they, one doctor said they had never seen a patient take so much morphine, and I was like, and still be awake. And I was like, yeah, because I was like, it was so painful. And I've had had to have seven or eight since, but <gasps> but now I have a better system in place but so as soon as they said we're testing for leukemia my mom hopped on a flight and she was there before my diagnosis was even given so it's just one of those things I mean I went numb I remember being like because I was like so overwhelmed that I was just like 
I'm just gonna write this on Instagram. Like, who? How do I even say this? You know, like, what do I do? Just like start a group chat and be like, or just tell my mom, like, here, call everyone on my phone. Um, so I, uh, so I posted an Instagram post. I was just like, like, I'm in shock, you guys. Like, I have leukemia. Like, I don't know what's next, but I'm in the hospital. My mom's here, and you know, like, I'll keep you posted. And it was just one of those things like you just don't know, like the early stages, you just don't know anything. Like they're saying like, oh, you're going to need a transplant. That's the best way to survive. I'm like, a tra- like, what do you mean a transplant? It's blood cancer. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need to start you on induction, high DAC, you know, which is high volume chemo, all this crazy stuff. They're saying all this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm like on a Ativan drip, you know, which is similar to Xanax, like completely because I was just like my heart rate would not go under. I think it was like 160 beats, like whatever. It was like just like, you know, fl- flying off the wall and it's just a lot of um I mean my focus was like am I gonna die I just kept Mm -hmm. saying it like am I gonna die and I was I was you know it was really dark and I think people get kind of you know I get called for being positive a lot like oh my gosh you're so positive about your like recovering everything and it's but like you'll look back and I look back and it's like I did not document a lot of that period because it was so hard and it was so scary and it was so dark and you know there's just so many you know it's just one of those things you just don't expect to be like faced with like kind of like oh your own mortality at 31 years old especially like I was just on like the highlight you know I just done a people interview about the makeup I had done at the wedding and like I was doing all getting this credit for like finally like the work that I put in was paying off and I was feeling I was in a relationship thank god you know things happen for a crazy reason because I was in a relationship and we weren't doing well but we thought we were and then this diagnosis two months into the diagnosis after three years together he bounced and couldn't do it which you know what I mean he could have handled it in about 10 different ways that would have been better including not telling me he meant to do this in June but waited till November he was you know and then also asking me yeah what a a fucking way to like take any guilt that you have off of yourself by being like well I was gonna do it earlier before you got diagnosed just so you know you know what I mean but you were you were too busy you were too busy and I was like oh oh you wanted to go oh I see you wanted to wait for Filming to be over on the show that I worked on so you could be on camera to tell your friends because you were a fanboy is what mm, it turned out to be. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when the, the, so, so there was a lot of that. And in a weird way, like when that happened, because so once you get diagnosed, you just kind of accept it. And it's just like, all right, you stay in the hospital, you get chemo. That's it. So okay. there I was. There was no, like, I was like, sorry, all my jobs that I've been booked, like, <laughs> you know, it's either, am I going to come do this job for $500 or die? You know what I mean? Like, right. there's no option. So you just start. And obviously, my friends, my support system, everyone, you know, rallied around me in a big way, which felt so good, especially when I lost like the person who I foolishly thought I'd spend the rest of my life with as my partner or whatever. But um, so the weird thing about the breakup during this happening, though, was I was able to kind of like focus all my rage on that. And so it kind of distracted me from Mm -hmm. the constant fear of dying every day. So instead, I was like going through my like breakup girl phase, you know, listening to my the you know Billie Eilish albums and whatever Lana Del Rey sad songs in the hospital and you know they give you good drugs so you kind of forget a lot of stuff so it's kind of like I mean I'm not going to recommend getting broken up when you have (laughs) leukemia and you might die but um you know it could have been worse honestly like he could have like now I think like had he stayed just because he felt bad and gone through all these amazing things that happened that I'm sure we'll touch on soon um you know I'm so glad he's not a part of that anymore all he is is a part of that horrific first month and a half when it's like oh my god what is the future gonna hold and then after he left things kind of you know started to get better I went right into remission after that second month of chemo oh Um, yeah and so the the thing with again the acute the aggressive thing is it comes back if you don't continue the chemo until you get a 
bone marrow, aka stem cell transplant. Okay. Yeah. So that was eventually going to be what I was told is like your next step to fully cure yourself of the leukemia. Okay. So you're in the hospital. This is September, August, September, October. uh, September, October. Yeah. I was pretty much in the hospital throughout September and October getting that induction chemo. Okay. So then you get that, you are done, you're in remission. What happens now? Because soon we know COVID's going to happen. So uh-huh. yeah. I'm interested in how, how this so series doctor, of events happen. The doctor finally tells me um, I need to get a bone, a stem cell transplant, which is a simple thing for the donor. It does involve, you know, like tragic how a lot of uh, organ donors come from people who've passed on. You know, this is a very easy way to do it. And I will just do a quick shout out to be the match.org. It's yes, the national please. registry. Um, to sign up it's a volunteer 501c3 you know charity organization it's not the government mining your data or whatever or your dna it's mm-hmm. just a cheek swab that you send into a registry and if you happen to be a match to someone who's in need you know leukemia affects m- primarily little kids and old people mm-hmm. and so if you could be a match to someone all you have to do is go give uh, it's like an extended blood draw i mean it's not nothing but it's you know it's a selfless act to be a hero so they told me you were going to need to find an anonymous or we were going to have to search the globe for an anonymous donor who fits this like genetic profile because they're going to eradicate all of my cancerous blood because with this type of leukemia it includes mutations that are um, very aggressive. So they'll just keep coming back and keep coming back Jeez. no matter how much like I would have to stay on chemo forever, which would, you know, chemo is yeah. not a way to live. You can't live on that level chemo. So while I was in remission, they kept me on remission by stay- keeping me on chemo. Once a month, I'd have to go back to the hospital and then you lose all your cell or all your immunity. So then I'd have to be basically like I was wearing masks before it was pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go to like the Britney Spears pop up in January of 2020, like in between chemo. And I had to wear my mask there on site. And like I got to go to the special opening beforehand. So like it was before it got germy. So it was really cool, you know, like to do that stuff. But it's funny to look back at the pictures being like, wait, why was I wearing a mask? And it's like, oh, yeah, you lose your immunity because of chemo. So it was basically six months of going into chemo and this hunt for my doctors and be the match to find a match who is a willing donor to give the blood. And they take the stem cell somehow from this stranger who has some sort of genetic components that match mine. They whisk it around in some scientific fancy schmancy machine. They pull out the stem cells that are needed and it looks just like a bag of blood and they Mm -hmm. insert it into me. And I, you know, when that finally happens, um, it's a very simple procedure, but the finding the person was the six month part of it. So it was right. like, you know, every time they'd be like, okay, we think we found a person in Brazil. And it's like, oh my goodness. Okay. Let's, you know, which is also weird. Cause it's like based off like your ethnicity. And it's like, oh yeah, there are different ethnicity, ethnicities in every country. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, but then my doctor was like, well, he's only seven of the 10 things we were, I really want eight or nine of the 10, you know, qualifiers, whatever. So the search continued. Finally, I'm checked in during my February chemo round to keep me in remission and I have to do a full week of chemo and then you know it's just a, it's a, every month is just like another like ordeal this is February Finally, 2020 February 2020 okay COVID is like a thing that people are talking about in the news like oh my god have you heard about this thing in in China you know but not really people mm-hmm. are t- still talking about like my big focus is trying to get to Christina Aguilera's Vegas residency before mm-hmm. the before my transplant was scheduled and all this okay so my doctor comes in and, and my chemo and says we found your transplant donor. He's agreed to it. The paperwork's done. He's got a, He's got a date that he's will, you know, because you do get a little, obviously it's more than just a blood draw when you're the donor. So you do have to take a couple of days off from work to kind of recover and rest and whatnot. What's that process so they, like? Do you know? 
Um, I don't know specifically. I mean, it used to be like they'd have to go into the stems, like the bone marrow, right. and it was like a painful. Now it is just similar to uh, the people describe it to me as similar to a plasma draw. So it's oh. like a little bit more extended. Yeah. And where you kind of stick with both arms out, and like they have fluids coming in to keep you hydrated while they're taking blood out, but then they're also kind of circulating your blood back in while they're it's very high tech interesting so it's like high tech blood draw yeah because i thought it would for longer. sure i would thought it would for sure be like going into the the bone itself to get actual marrow but i'm also an idiot so uh, no no it, make, was, no, it, it know. was like that it was like okay that. so okay. it's much so back in the day you know that's why i mean and it's still only five percent of people are on the national registry even today so not like it's not like there's a huge increase now that it's less painful or not painful but sure you can imagine it was a lot less popular to be like, sure, sure. I'll have my bones sliced open and get right. scrape the marrow out and stuff. So, oh my god, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, it's a blood, blood. You know, he said he took about six hours on and off in a day. My my donor told me that. So, um, or you know, and a lot of donors have said that. Right. So, finally, February, we have a donor. We're gonna set you up. It's March. We're gonna do it on March thirteenth, twenty twenty. That tape might ring a bell. <laughs> <laughs> For more than just me. Um, so so I'm like, oh my God, great. So I make that Christina Aguilera trip happen, bald headed, got to go to Christina, you know, celebrate my last thing. They're like, you don't have to do any more of this chemo because when you do your transplant, you got to get a whole different type of chemo. You got to get the radiation. You got to clear everything out of your body um, to get ready for the new stem cells to take over. And then it's like a full on organ transplant thing. But first I had to see Christina, flew back from Christina, March 6th. And then it's like, they're really talking about this COVID a lot, you know? I'm like, damn, okay. But it had only like a few cases had popped up by that point, you know, or like they're just starting to pop up, but it hadn't reached the West Coast at all. Going to the hospital, I think a week before and start my chemo, start my radiation, very painful. You know, immediately my hair starts falling back out again and just all that stuff. Cause it had been six months of like, kind of like, you know, mid-level chemo. So then I'm back in doing it, getting ready for this thing. And then, Thursday they're coming in my mom's with me all my visitors you know and then they're like have you guys heard that we might be shutting down like the airlines like blah blah blah. and I'm like my transplants tomorrow and mine there's different types of transplants and I can't have my blood can't the blood coming for me can't be frozen at all it has to be like like they get it someone is waiting with him when he finishes to get that bag of blood and they take it straight to an airport in a cooler and ride it on a plane over like that's a that's one of the volunteer and like worker positions at this amazing organization wow so someone did this on that night and i woke up on the friday the 13th and they were like and i was just like did it did it make it like am i gonna have to call off this transplant like what and i will applaud be the match because they used every resource they used ups planes fedex planes i mean they had like volunteers like strapped in on those like fedex flights you know just holding their little bucket of you know like uh yeah. cooler of blood to save so many people's lives so it was crazy the you know the product as they call it arrived they started the procedure which is fairly simple itself it's not a surgery it's just a you know they they let the blood come into me and it takes over they give me a bunch of medicine so you don't reject very similar to organ transplant whatever and then the pr process of recovery and the second day um or the very next day, they said, oh, no one can visit you anymore. We're completely closed. COVID has taken over. The and next day? The next day. So that, so like my mom, it was just like, they immediately, like that was a Friday the 13th that it happened. It's my lucky like rebirth day. And then, you know, my parents were there and everything. And the next day they were like, no more visitors allowed. And that was wild because that was like, I want to say about 45 days of in the hospital. 
And, you know, it's like extra, like I'd already been in the hostel a lot. So I was kind of like used to like roaming the halls and like breaking out. I'd always break out and go like to the courtyard because it's like a college campus. And, you know, like when during the off seasons or whatever. And but now like you couldn't leave your room. Nurses had to like wear hazmat suits they came in. So it was really a wild experience. You know, it was just very isolating, very lonely. And it's what kind of led me to start sharing some of my journey online and then realizing like, oh, there is a community here. And kind of reinstated my, I don't know, reminder, like, community is so important in every aspect, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I guess it, it was, a, you know, obviously so hard. Like, I would have much rather been able to see my mom, you know, and have that comfort during, like, the painful days of the process of recovery, especially those first few weeks after transplant when your body is literally accepting an entire new, you know, this cell system and replacing the old ones so you can feel that you know from within you I could feel like in my legs one day it was like knives just like you know like through my within my bones and it's like the new marrow coming to life fighting off the cancerous ones or whatever leftover cancerous ones are there from the chemo and it worked you know they would test my numbers frequently until I became a hundred percent my donor that you know they'd be like oh, here 80 percent your donor you're 90 percent your donor now you're and then you know i don't remember the day specifically but i remember them being like you're you're a hundred percent your donor like so the chance of the cancer once that happens coming back is like almost eliminated which is obviously the news we want you know as a as someone who's told like oh yeah this cancer is like a i think they told me it was a 70 30 survival rate and then you know but then once you get this transplant it increases you know, your survival goes up way much because I don't have the same genetic mutation in my body anymore. And that's why I couldn't use like my brother or a family member as it because they're like, just on the off chance that they have the genetic mutation, not even meaning they would get the can like get leukemia, but just like they have the recessive mutation if it got back in my system, because it's not recessive inside of me. It's so complicated, mm. but it's like, but it was wild. So yeah, so I got to this donor and then I focused on recovery. Um, we lived in isolation. My parents moved out here. We got a nice little uh, apartment, you know, with concrete floors and bathrooms that we could all have our own for COVID precautions. And I saw very few people, um, you know, I had a, a short list of people who could come by who were who were like safe, <laughs> safe people. Because, you know, my friends had to work still and do stuff. And, you know, so it was just like, you just had to be extra precautious. It was just, it was just hard. It was isolating. It was lonely, but it was also eye-opening and, you know, reflective in a weird way. And it's just, there's so much to it. And it's like, you know, I, everything about my life has changed every single aspect, even though I'm like exactly the same person. It's, it's a weird, it's, it's a part of partially a mind fuck. Obviously it's like, you know, people want you to be so excited that you're here and alive and all that stuff. But, but you know, then the next step after beating it and being like, Oh my God, you're hundred percent. Your donor is a, this really rough road to recovery of accepting this transplant. So, you know, it's like a lot of good and then a lot of hard still. So all of 2020 was pretty much just recovery. And I got through that finally started to get my life back together. And 2021, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it was just getting back together and getting it, getting all, all together until I got the news that I would meet my donor, you know, in 2022. So, um, and that's kind of, kind of felt, you know, it was like a nice, um, in a weird way, like cherry on top feeling like almost like I'm kind of putting a, wrapping a bow on this part of the journey, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Although it kept going because I did have to have a hip replacement recently. Um, <laughs> yeah. Side effect from the chemo and whatnot. But um, 
you know, it's a, it teaches you as someone who's like a neurotic control freak, whether I come across it as not or not, because I try to hide that part because it's not, you know, it's not lovable quality, but I'm a neurotic control freak. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do the next thing. And it's like, okay, your body is literally telling you, you know, last year it was telling you with my hip, like, oh no, you physically can't do that because we are in the process of collapsing on you. You know what I mean? So it's been, a, it's been eye-opening being like saying no to things, especially after being the person who said yes to everything, you know, even though I would control like what positions I'd put myself in, like I wouldn't work with shitty people or whatever. I'd still always, I wouldn't turn down a job mm-hmm. like from people that I liked, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or whatever. So it's, um, yeah, it was, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's not just like this, like, oh my God, this happy ending where it's like, oh my gosh, everything's better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is like, was or currently is like the hardest, obviously it's extremely hard physically on you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And painful and all of the awful things like mentally, what would you say was like the hardest time during this? Was it when you first got the diagnosis? Was it when the breakup happened? Was it when COVID happened? Like what was really a, a hard thing for you to, to swallow and deal with? Yeah. The hardest was definitely post-transplant because like I said, I went right into, re- I went right into remission and even with the chemo, the monthly chemo, I was still able to like go outside and walk. I could walk a, a, about a mile by, you know, on chemo, but after the transplant, I mean, it is a hard process but what really fucked with me was being stuck inside, you know, seeing that kind of the same, you know, we were, there was a lack of entertainment on like, a, on just like a, people don't, you know, you think about this is like, you're, when you're so tired and you're just like, I just want to watch something entertaining. You know what I mean? And I remember the feeling of being so agitated and I was also on steroids that were all part of my, you know, procedure mm-hmm. that I had to be on for a long period of time. And so I was all already agitated but I just remember this feeling about that constant agitation. Like I just want to go and I wasn't allowed to drive and I couldn't go anywhere because I was so immunocompromised. Also, my face was like, you know, I had this graft versus host disease, which is a very common thing um, for transplant pe- survivors or transplant patients. And so my face swelled, swell, swelled up or whatever it's called. And I got all these like hives and stomach issues. And then I had to go re- get rehospitalized during COVID. And for like, what? Just they had to check on my stomach and see if, it, if you know, if this graft graph versus host disease was kind of taking over more so or than not. So that part in 2020, the end of 2020 and stuff was really, really difficult. And, you know, my sister had just given birth and like, I kind of missed out on all of that stuff. And even that first Christmas, we got to go see them uh, and the new baby and everything. And, but I was still just so out of it and so weak. And I still had like, I had to give myself or not myself, but my mom had to give me like antibiotics through, I had like a permanent um, IV in my arm or a semi-permanent one. So I was still t- taking medicines that had to be, de- so we were like, would road trip because obviously we couldn't fly because of COVID. So we'd road trip, but we couldn't stop anywhere. And then we'd have to, but we'd have to pull over to like, do. it was just crazy. You know what I mean? It was just like a very depressing. It just felt like, oh my God, is it, you know, and I'd literally be like, is it worth this? Like, fuck. Cause you start, you know, you get your blinders on. And I think that's where that stuff, like, and I'm not one of those people who's like, you know, I, I do believe like only boring people get bored. <laughs> like mm. I'm, I, I'm not like, oh my God, I need to go out and be partying. But it was just something about like that constant feeling of agitation and feeling like I was just missing so much, even though the world was stopped, but just like these little moments, like I don't really remember my sister being pregnant or I don't, don't really, you know, mm. I didn't get to enjoy all that aspect 
as much like as I did obviously with the second baby she had a few just a year ago or whatever so little things like that but it was definitely post-transplant in the pandemic was like the roughest but oddly also you know very fulfilling I started working with different cancer organizations and represented a unique demographic of, of like young queer uh cancer survivor so I you know at the same time I'm feeling this I'm also going on and speaking you know to 6,000 people at the gala for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society which is the second largest cancer organization in America so it's like it's it was just such a mind fuck because it's like mm-hmm. these people are celebrating me like you're so amazing you know what I mean and then personally I'm like oh my god I feel like I could die at any moment still you know what I mean like yeah. whether it's physically it's just like mentally it's like I don't know like I just I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel I suppose mm-hmm. and people kept telling me there was one and I was like that's fine that you guys see it but you're not the one dealing with it you know what I mean yep it was just really and I get pegged as being like as optimist which blows my mind but I get the amount of dms you're, like, you're so inspiring I think it's just because I'm funny or silly or kind of goofy but if you ever listen to what I'm saying half the time I'm like you know it's it's like the dark humor type vibes that like most cancer patients like all my cancer friends that are my age will be like you know, like our humor, if people saw it, they'd be like, oh my God, are they even happy that they beat cancer? You yeah. know what I mean? But it's like, but it's, you have to process it. And most, you know, when you're a young adult and you process like the concept of maybe dying and then you have so many of your friends or acquaintances die because of you're in this club now. And, you know, that's the, again, it's just, it, this whole experience has been like a coin, you know what I mean? Like there's always the good, like I've met so many incredible survivors and people who helped me to know, like, I'm going to have a future. You know, I still like, even though I'm in the thick, I'm still in the thick of it. And that's what's so hard to believe. I'm going into year four since my diagnosis. And I still feel like I am like fighting and, and you know what I mean? And it's obviously not life-threatening anymore, but it's trans transition. Now that my hip got corrected and whatnot, it's transitioned to more of like, now I got to get the mental, all the mental fuckery that happened in place. But I get these moments of um, clarity and like, reminders like okay this you know I don't know if everything happened for a reason or what because that'd be a fucked up reason like okay thanks thanks whoever did that you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I'm sure I could have learned a lesson a little bit easier than leukemia and then a transplant and then a hip replacement and the all during the pandemic but go orf universe anyways it's you know the the flip side of the coin is you know there has been a lot of positive positive things come and, you know, I might not stay in makeup. I've found, I got back into writing during my downtime. Um, me and my mom had always wanted to write our screenplays together. Uh, she's been working as a, you know, she's a teacher, uh, a doctorate teacher, whatever, professor type person. And then, um, but she's always wanted to write as well. So the pandemic gave us time to work together on that. So it's been interesting and cool to kind of like, almost, it's almost given me the confidence to be like, oh wait, I'm not just jared lips the celebrity makeup artist from bravo anymore you know what i mean Mm -hmm. in a weird way it's like and my big thing i was also really worried about being like known as like the cancer patient Mm -hmm. like oh my god they're just gonna think of me as like jared jared lipscomb who survived cancer and obviously it's a huge part of who i am and i'm very proud of it but it's not it's like so nice to know now that it's not like my defining quality just like being a makeup artist isn't my defining quality do i slay a face absolutely did i slay cancer absolutely but none of that means that doesn't make me me you know what I mean totally so. totally what do you still go because it sounds like okay you you worked through the physical stuff even though that that's still affecting you you're now focusing more on the mental aspect of it you said you were kind of a hypochondriac before uh this where do you stand with that now are you worried that I I, I interviewed somebody who had to have a liver transplant 
And she oh, said that she was a um, a hypochondriac before that. And after she was saying, um, you know, I'm even it's even harder for me now because I'm like, well, what if I do something that causes me to my health to deteriorate? And I'm obviously people who have illnesses or get cancer or have chronic uh, pain. Like they're not a monolith, right? Everybody has their own opinions and feelings on it. I'm just curious of as to what yours are. Uh, yeah now. totally I mean for me like I am you know I think I'll I think once you get this diagnosis and you have to get tested regularly that's called scanxiety or something that we've mm. coined that term uh in the AYA the young cancer group it's like I see it all over uh Instagram and stuff so you'll always I think that as part of it but I mean I'm still still because I'm not like in the five years in the clear yet where I, cause I so mm. I still go get blood tests every three months so I feel like I'm gonna still be in this hypochondriac kind of world of like oh my gosh like I, you know I'm still gonna get stressed out before my blood test you know every three months but there's certain things that trigger me now but I'm not running to the doctor like I was <laughs> which is interesting and I would say I almost in a way maybe even went the opposite way of your friend where I'm mm. like, you know what? I've been through so much. Like I get that I'm still taking like prescription strength ibuprofen, but if I want to have a martini this night, like I know you're not supposed to mix ibuprofen and, uh, and vodka, but I'm doing it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's almost like, I'm like, fuck it. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. you, cause you can't live in my opinion. You can't live. It's like, I don't, I, well, I don't want to live in fear. I should sure. say. Sure. Yep. So like I see a bruise pop up and obviously I freak out. Cause obviously that's one of the, you know, common, but that also bruising happens if you, you know, I'm very fair skinned and, and you know, have, <laughs> I'm an easy bruiser. So mm -hmm. it's like, I can't panic every time I see a bruise now, just because that was one of my, you know, symptoms uh, when I had leukemia because my blood count was also at like zero. And so now I know when I get my blood count, I see my doctor says, Oh, it's perfectly normal. You know? So I don't, I don't, it's definitely like a battle, but it's something that I'm trying to actively work on because I don't want to go back to living that way either. Like, I don't want to go back living. I mean, my worst fear was getting cancer and dying. Okay. I got cancer and I didn't die. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. It comes back. I'm going to get cancer. What's going to happen? I'm going to get cancer and die. Probably not. Yeah. I already beat it once, bitch. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and it also, but you can't live like that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You can't live. I mean, you have to plan and stay healthy, but. It's not like I'm going out smoking cigarettes and drinking Mountain Dew, but it, you know what I mean? I'm going to enjoy, I, I'm trying to enjoy a little bit more. Yeah. What so. is your, <clears throat> what is your relationship with death and dying now versus before? Um, you know, I grew up a very like Southern religious, so okay. it's very fire brimstone. Yep. So my relationship with it before, even though my parents were very accepting and open, they, we just kind of they grew up in it and we were just kind of before we all had like this they had they they were young parents we were all in the church young so we they left by the time we were 30 by the time I was 10 but it did do a number on my on my yeah. you know for a while so for a while it was very much negative you know I was like oh my god even even though I would be like you know I'd have these moments like oh my gosh you guys like I'm, I don't believe in god and like even if there is a god like the concept of heaven and hell is so stupid like that's so like Anglo-Saxon, you know, like, mm -hmm. tw like tw 19th or whatever century yeah. uh, Catholic church. But so when I finally got to that point, you know, it, I, I don't know what it is. It's not like I'm, I, I have not accepted. It. It's not like, you know what? I've lived a full life. If I right. die tomorrow, I'm ready to go. Cause I definitely, if anything, it's more like, I just want to get to this next chapter. Like I want to get my hip healed up. Cause that was kind of like the last little side effect from my transplant from the medicine and whatnot that kind of made it you know, needed me needed to get replaced. So I just want to have, 
I, I don't have like a relationship in one way or the other. I just don't think about it as much maybe. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you know, the hypochondria thing is because you're like so afraid you're going to get sick and it's going to yeah. be something that you die from. Yep. And also, you know, I grew up in that era of like in the South where, you know, you're gay and you, you know, AIDS was right. still, people were still talking about AIDS. Like I know that was like an eighties, nineties thing, but like in small town in the South and then like in the Midwest, people were talking about AIDS, you know, like it was still just a thing. People I still feel get. like people aren't educated on on it at all now, no matter it's where so you are. so wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say I'm proud of the gay community itself because even on dating sites, like it's out now an option. Like, you know, we could go into a whole thing about being undetectable. It's not even a thing. But that's neither here nor <laughs> here, neither here nor there. <laughs> Let's have a whole separate episode about dating after cancer. Yeah. No, seriously. But I'm just not. I just am not. It's just not consuming it's just mm-hmm. not consuming me. I'm trying to like let go of all my anxiety. Um, and some days I find myself getting anxiety over stupid things. You know what I mean? Like something dumb. Did, did I, oh my gosh, did I write a comment? Did I leave a comment on one of the fan accounts that, you know, from the shows that I work on accidentally like revealing FC and then it'll be like, oh my gosh, who gives a shit? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like nice to have that reminder. Um, and it's not like throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to go to my sister's wedding because who gives a shit? I mean, you know what I mean? Right. Yep. It's just, it's just things are more in perspective. Yeah. I can take yeah. a walk without headphones now. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and, and look up, I always say this is my example every time. Like what, do, you know, people say like, what do you notice? And I'm like, it's not some magical thing that I've noticed difference. I still hurt. My fingers are still numb. I can't work as a makeup artist yet because of the side effects of oh. the neuropathy. Um, which is also part of the reason why I'm getting back into writing, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. that can be my career, you know, there's, mm-hmm. so I'm looking into different avenues to sustain myself after I kind of get fully better because this neuropathy, the, the numbness in my hands caused by the chemo might never go away. So, you know, you have to be ready to bounce back to, to anything truly. So right. um, it's all this kind of, it's a weird, I was kind of excited you asked me to do it during this time of, of my life because in theory, people are like, oh my God, you are thriving. You are, I am seeing you out six mm-hmm. weeks after your hip surgery. You did this. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to remember, first of all, I'm a social media master. So I can like trick anything, you know, like how, yeah. how you're saying you're wearing pajamas on bottom. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'll post something. You don't realize that the restaurant I went to is two, two minute walk from my home. All my friends came to me and we were there for 45 minutes. You know what I mean? And yep. I filmed a, an amazing little thing or I went to a move. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just... It's a lot of balance now. It's a lot of balance. And it's not perfect. And it's not like you beat cancer now. And there are people who do that, you know, and it's just different types of cancer, different types of people. If you're already physically fit, the chances are, like if you were running marathons before you got diagnosed, you probably could go back to running marathons. I was never running a fucking marathon mm-hmm. and I ain't going to start now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, now I, and doctor's not allowed to mm-hmm. with my, with my fake hip. I'm not allowed to. So, but you know. For me, it's been a it's been nice to kind of remind myself that I can take as much time as I need mm-hmm. to heal all, all parts, you know, not just physically, but the mental aspect and kind of processing all this because you really do just get thrown into it. And then it's like, OK, <laughs> bye. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're experiencing a trauma, a traumatic event, or whatever it is, you can't process it during the event, or at least in my experience and whatever I've endured, it's like you can't process it during it because you're trying to stay alive. You can't Absolutely. process that at that time. So 
now that you're, you know, on, on the up and up on the mend, you had your hip surgery now is like, okay, well now that I feel safer, relatively safe in my own body, I can start to, I can start the process of like processing all of this. Exactly. Exactly. And that's been like the, the hardest thing to kind of get across to people like my, even my friends, you know, cause it's just such a odd experience you know I mean already having cancer as a young adult's odd then you throw in a transplant a pandemic and just like what in the hell is going on over here Mm -hmm. and so you know it's it's yeah it's just a lot to kind of I guess my big thing is is what I'm trying to get at is like I'm happy to be able to say like I am doing really well like health-wise like you know I'm staying in remission my numbers are great but I'm still struggling you know every day Mm. is a day of you know some days are wonderful I wake up feeling amazing and today I woke up feeling not great you know I'm Mm -hmm. having a flare-up for my transplant Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to pop a couple steroids like low-dose steroids to kind of get it under control and then I'm gonna have to go get my stomach looked at with a camera the endoscopy thing in a month you know so I I just kind of have to and but it's a life lesson for everyone it's like things are always going to kind of come up and so it's I realized like I used to be one of those people like when something came up, it's like, oh my God, I gotta stop and focus and fix this and you know, da 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 da, da like take care of this right away. I gotta respond to the text right away, I gotta respond to the email right away, I gotta do you know, everything like that. So that that has that has been one of the silver linings, I guess, if you will. It's like I don't feel that rush. I don't feel that mm. and it's like, you know, I mean I gotta I, I get a get a jail free card too. It's like, you know, I can tell anyone sorry, canceling last minute, I feel like shit. But also knowing that is such a power. And I think more people need to embrace that on just a day-to-day level. Women who, you know, are, get their period, they should have days off for that. Like we're just working too hard. That's where I got into that rise and grind thing at the early. I was like, I will never be back part of that world. I can guarantee that no matter what I do next, it will not involve rising nor grinding. (laughs) I mean, I will rise. I will, I will wake up the next day, (laughs) but I will not grind hard. Um, yeah, I feel like another, (laughs) I feel like another fucking thing people say is like my five to nine before my nine to five. It's like where they wake up at like four 30 in the morning and like do something from 5am to 9am before they go do their fucking normal thing. And I'm like, you guys are awful. (laughs) That's, those are serial killer hours. That's like when you're burying the body. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need to be doing that. Um, what do you, what, what do you struggle with most right now? Oh, um, I would say it's kind of of my own making, but maybe unsolicited advice. It's Mm. really interesting in this parasocial world of Instagram. And, you know, I don't have a ton of followers, but I've got a handful and it's a lot of them are makeup fans or whatever, but a lot are from the cancer community Mm. or people who feel, and I'm, uh, let me just say, I am so appreciative of everyone who's like followed my journey because they all, everyone's donated to my GoFundMe. Cause I had like a insurance scare where they said like, Oh, your insurance isn't going to cover this. And you know, so it was, it was, I've had so much support, but with that support and being so open online, even to a small audience, just, you know, it's sometimes hard when you're having a rough day and you open your DMS and you just want to like scroll social media and like respond to a meme. And you see someone saying like, Hey, you know, just FYI, don't skip out on physical therapy. Right. Like, it's, really important. it's like, I get that. And I'm not like, I, you know, I never, I'm always so happy that people you're even thinking of me and giving sure. me advice, but it is just something weird that I did not expect to happen. And during my cancer part, because I was so medicated, I didn't notice it much like mm. my breakup. I was so medicated that I kind of was able to get it out. I'm sure I still need to process some of it, but like, I don't, you know, I, I don't miss my ex or any of that stuff. 
And so the same kind of process happens with that. Like I didn't, I, I knew I shared a lot and I knew I responded to a ton of people while I was quarantined in the hospital room high as a kite on drugs. But the more, so, you know, the more sober I got, I was like, oh, this is a little overwhelming. So it's really hard to, it's sweet, but it's hard to go through, especially when you just want to like, but I did, one of my friends taught me to, to say, just sharing to, you know, just sharing this because I know, you know, there's a lot of cancer patients follow me, not looking for any advice or for, uh, for input or what, or for similar stories. There's some wording she, she does that I have copy and pasted to, to, mm-hmm. put, to now add on if mm-hmm. I want to share an update without asking for advice, because I did not know about that. And then also my following kind of grew because of the people I worked with were sharing my story. So, you know, then I started working with Be The Match. So, it's it, you know, I'm very happy that it happened that way. But it can be, it's almost more me, like my boundaries. I need to set my own boundaries. Yeah. So, but it's just very, it's been hard because, you know, I mean, everyone is doing everything for me from helping me go to the restroom to helping me bathe. So I wasn't, it's like I had ex- ignored boundaries for years. And now I'm starting to really have to kind of reset them you know, within every aspect, not just social media, that was just what came to mind first, yeah, but yeah. just in every aspect of like, you know, when doctors call me and say like, okay, you have to come, you know, it's like, no, I don't mm. have to come in on your time. Like I can cut, it's every three months. That doesn't mean, you know, to the day. You know? So there's just different ways I can kind of con- feel like I have a little control over my own life, you know? Yeah. How are you working on setting boundaries? Cause that has come up so many times in doing this podcast people being like I I, am not surprised I being like I haven't I didn't grow up with with seeing boundaries uh or or my boundaries growing up were too strong so now I went the opposite way or maybe about like but people have a hard time setting boundaries so I'm curious of like how you how you're doing it like do you do you go to therapy like what is your like mental health practice right now to get you in the best place possible yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, for me, I use, you know, medication, uh, like regular medication, psychiatrist therapy, etc. I also like, like antidepressant stuff or antidepressant. anxiety. Yeah, yeah. antidepressants, yeah. like long term, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I can't remember which, which one I'm on, but it also coincidentally helps with nerve pain. So it's a very good kind of two for one combo. Win win. And it doesn't mess, you know, it doesn't make you fucked up, basically. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. You don't get high from it. So, um, and therapy, you said? And therapy. Um, but with the boundary thing, I was even doing that. I kind of learned, I mean, I feel like it's also part kind of like a, a newer word that we're all kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it's not yep. like I grew up and remember being like, oh yeah, I remember boundaries this way or that way. Or, yep. But I think like having medical issues is like an easy way to set your boundaries. So for me, it's kind of easy because I can just be like, well, I've grown to know like what my body can handle and whatnot. So it's just like, okay, I, you guys like, yeah, if my friends ask me to come out, you know, like, okay, well, just so you know, it's eight o'clock. You guys asked me pretty late. Like I will come for just a dinner. I know you guys are going to go out after. I know you're going to beg for me to come after and I'm not coming. Like those kinds of things. Yeah. Just little, just little simple things that are just like, and some of it, you know, are, maybe that's not the best example because sometimes I do need to get out and have fun, but you know, just, ugh. But like knowing, knowing the difference between those no, two things, yeah, I you know, just knowing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not I have a certain person to set boundaries. I mean, I live with my parents again at almost 35 years old, which is wild. And so to kind of reset those boundaries, that's yeah. been interesting too. Cause my mom yep. was my main caretaker and my dad as well. But so like my mom, for instance, is so used to just kind of coming into my room, 
and which is such a funny thing to say now at almost 35 again I was like I feel like I'm 15 but of course so grateful that they're here with me because I would not be able to survive yeah. you know, financially or any other way without them yeah but just even the door she'll just barge in and so I finally had to be like you know and we were very communicative uh very loving just good family so it was easy to do I just sat her down and said mom I get it but I am not sick anymore like how I used to be where like you know and I, but I also after my hip surgery it's like I don't want to have my have to have my door locked so you just have to know like you have to knock and you have to wait for a response my lady mm-hmm. <laughs> you have yep. to sit wait for me to say come on in because yeah. you know I, I take forever to get dressed these days so <laughs> there after a shower it takes me about 30 minutes to put clothes on between the bending and the grabbing and the you know using all my little devices to help because I like to be self-sufficient obviously of course yeah, yeah, yeah um so those just those little things you know I have I'm not dating yet so I haven't started to have to deal with those kinds of boundaries that will be an interesting thing maybe we'll come back around and visit that I because- know because it will be interesting to see. I am. I'm curious. I want to talk to someone who's, you know, like dated post cancer and seeing what that's like. Because I tried to get online right after, like in the the pandemic time when everyone was going back online dating, and I was just a story for people. You know, they were just like so, like, oh my gosh, tell me more. Like so fascinated by it. And then it'd be like, all right, thanks. So good talking to you. And then they'd unmatch. And I'd be like, oh my God, okay. Oh. So I was like, well, I'm not going to lead with the cancer. But at the time I was like bald headed. So all my right. pictures were bald. So I'd rather be like, I'm recovering from cancer. But there's just, just so much weird shit out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more. We, we might have to do a part two to this because there's so much more <laughs> I want to talk about. Like, I'm curious about like growing up in like a religious town household like whatever and and how they uh saw like queerness and I'm interested in like the financial aspect of going through a gigantic uh uh, health experience and uh I had someone on and we talked a lot about like having to advocate for yourself as a patient um and there's just so many other things so I might have to have you on as part two because I know we're either at an hour coming up on it um my last question for you until our part two is uh, if someone is going through a low point right now or they're in a valley, what would you say to help them um, start coming out of it or just to help them overcome whatever they're experiencing is experiencing, whether that's like a health thing or, or otherwise? Because there's other fucking shit that in your life that <laughs> other than your cancer, like you said, you're you're more oh, than God, just yeah. your cancer. You have all these different facets. You have like the writer, the business person, the friend. Uh, so, so I'm just curious about like if you have if you could give a piece of advice to someone experiencing a, a low point, what would it be? I think like my biggest takeaway from this whole experience, I don't know if this is advice. I, mean, I guess it kind of is. Is but for me, what helped me? Let me just say what helped me. Yes, is I had my mantra. And I did not believe in a mantra at all. I think all that stuff is wooey, wooey, hooey, hooey, dooey. And that's why I said at the beginning, like, I don't know if it's because, like, of karmic, whatever. And now I'm starting to be a little bit more in tune to that, you know. And I said, my mom was the one who said, you need to have a mantra just to remind you. So mine was almost dark, and I liked it because it said, this is all temporary. And that was my mantra. Mm. It was the background of my phone. So, you know, I lived on my phone when I was sick. It was the background of my iPad. So I just saw it all the time, and I would say it. And then, so... No, obviously that's not comforting for everyone. That would not be comforting to a terminal patient. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was so stuck. Like I said, I felt so stuck and trapped in this, you know, I went from one hospital room to my apartment in in North Hollywood 
and I was just going crazy, feeling like I couldn't find anything to watch. I couldn't get satiated. I couldn't get enough to eat because of the steroids. And I would just feel like this is never going to end. Like, when is this going to fucking end? And then I started to get paranoid about the pandemic being like, oh, my God, am I going to get better? And then this is our new normal. Like, no one does anything anymore. And we just, like, live in this, like, post-apocalyptic future. I should have known capitalism had better ideas. Anyways, mantras are what did it for me. And I was like, I don't believe in this. Like, this is stupid. And I'll tell you what, by about the fifth day of me saying, this is, I, I had it in a cute way too. Like, all this is temporary or some little like rhyming thing. I can't remember it, but it was basically all this is temporary. And I just would say it, all this is temporary. Sometimes it'd be my mom reminding me, we'd hold hands and breathe. And, but, but there's something about that mantra. And I know it doesn't work for everyone. And I know it's not one size fits all. But for me, as someone who does not, you know, I don't meditate. I don't do a lot of that kind of stuff. That, those little moments of that mantra was my meditation. It was me being like, all right, I guess, you know, I'm starting to believe that this is all temporary. And by God, it was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? So I think in that part, you have to remind yourself that this, whatever the situation is, it's temporary heartbreak you know, the loss of a pet. I just went through that, you know, and I mean, so many friends have lost. It's, it's, it is temporary. The grief, the pain, whatever you're feeling, it's temporary. Whatever your mantra needs to be, you know, maybe that's not the mantra you need. Maybe the mantra is, I look, I do look good. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be power. It doesn't have to be um, like well-written, like from Maya Angelou. You know what I mean? It can just be what makes you feel good. For me, literally just saying it's temporary and knowing that I wasn't going to be having cancer for the rest of my life was like the biggest, in a weird way, the biggest relief, you know? So if it's just being like, okay, you know what? You are not ugly. If you're feeling, if you're one of those people who feel ugly all the time, yep. you are not ugly. Just say it. You start to believe it. It's wild. I did not think my mom had said, you'll start to believe that this is all temporary. No, I won't. How can I? I'm hooked up to this. I'm hooked up to that. Every 6 a.m. this doctor comes in, 7 a.m. Well, you know, and then mm-hmm. here I am. Yep. You know why I love this is temporary so much is because, and maybe this is the me being dark, but like, is because it it's also for good things too. Like everything yes. is temporary. Yes. So it helps put things into perspective, which I know we touched on a little bit is like, yeah, the bad stuff is temporary and the good stuff is temporary. So like, just keep Enjoy perspective. the good. Yep. Don't focus so much on the bad, yep. you know, be through the bad, get through the bad. Totally. But well, well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. Is there anything else that like you want to wrap up with? Because this is temporary. It's pretty fucking good. And I don't know if we can beat it. No, I just want to say one more time, go to be the match.org and be sure you're signed up for that registry. You could literally be a life-saving superhero. I got to meet my donor last year. It was incredible. It was beautiful. He refers to me as his brother for life. And in a karmic thing, he now has a lady friend that he, you know, a girlfriend and they're, you know, on the fast track to get engaged and his life is falling into place after this like selfless good deed he did. So I don't know how the world works. I don't know if things happen. We know it's all temporary, but there's a lot of good in the temporary too. So I'm happy to be here and I can't wait for our part two. (laughs) I know me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest Jared Lipscomb. He's a makeup artist. He's a screenwriter. He's just an overall badass person. You can follow him on all the socials. His handle is Jared Lips. Thanks again for listening. New episodes every Thursday. 